0: Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, we We're going to look at just one verse this morning, that is verse 10, Ephesians 6 and verse 10. We have been in the book of Ephesians and have taken note that it is Paul's uh, letter of cosmic reconciliation. That is, that when Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, he did so not just for his elect, not just for his church, but that all things uh, might be reconciled to himself. And ultimately, there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells, all as a result of Christ's work on the cross. And uh, his resurrection is a foretaste of that, his glorified body, not only of our glorified bodies, but of a renewed uh, and reconciled creation um, as well. And we have just finished the household uh, code uh, in the previous verses, the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6. Last sermon in this series was on slavery in verses uh, 5 through 9 of chapter 6. And we come to this concluding section of the book of Ephesians and the introductory verse in verse 10, which will be our concern today. So let's pray and then read God's word. Father, we uh, come to this portion of your word, believing that it has been written for us by your spirit through the apostle Paul long ago and far away. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come. And apply it to our hearts and minds to make it relevant to us here and now, today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Two verses to the sermon this morning. First, a resurrection reference. And secondly, some relevant reminders a resurrection reference and relevant reminders June 6, 1944 was D-Day D-Day is when the allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy at and the invasion of uh, the shores of Europe the success which uh, encountered that day marked the beginning of the end of World War II and the beginning of the end of Hitler's attempt at world domination. And yet, VE Day, victory in Europe, VE Day was one year away, May 8, 1949, when the war would actually be concluded with the capture of Berlin, capital of Germany. I mention that because it's the same in the New Testament, Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension are the analogous are analogous to D Day, where he conquered Satan and he has won the victory over sin and death and Satan um, on his resurrection and ascension. And yet the battles continue to rage until he returns and there is complete and total victory. For those of you that are theologues, this is put in terms such as the now and the not yet. Christ's victory has been accomplished and achieved now by virtue of his resurrection and ascension, and not yet until he returns and consummates that, and all the battles are completed and over. Now, I mention that because The three words in verse 10, look at the text, strong, strength, and might are the same three words which Paul uses to begin his letter to the Ephesians in talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at chapter 1 and verse 19 if you would. In Ephesians 1, verse 19, we read uh, Paul is praying for the Ephesian church, praying for you, praying for me as well. And he says, I pray that you would come to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, same word as strength, all right, toward us who believe according to the working of the strength of his might or his great might. The three words are the same in verse 19 as they are in verse 10 of chapter 6. What is the reference, though, in verse 19? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is, his resurrection, raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, his ascension and his session in the heavenly places. What's the point? Paul, in verse 10 of chapter 6, is referring once again to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ as he calls you and me to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That resurrection reference is to remind you and me that our strength is not in ourselves, that your strength is not in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but the strength of a Christian is by virtue of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and his ascension, all right? And that reference in chapter 1 is to the power which, by which God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I just want you to pause and think for a moment, all right? Because if you're a Christian, like me, you're already taken for granted Christ is raised from the dead. Of course, we celebrate Easter, Christ's resurrection, like his death, like his ascension, is just a fact of Christ's life. Uh, we take that for granted, and we overlook it. But I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. Because in chapter 1 of verse 19, Paul is saying, I pray that you would know That power. And I want you to pause and think for a moment. What power was it? What power is it that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? What power is it? What power does it take to raise someone from the dead three days after he was buried? That's immense power. That is incredible power. And when Paul in Ephesians 6 then says to you, Christian, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, he wants to remind you of that power. Jesus Christ is the cosmic ruler. He is the risen and reigning Lord, and Satan is a defeated foe. This is the beginning of a section upon which a lot of ink has been spilled. Hundreds of books have been written about spiritual warfare, but we need to get this right. And what is right is not just what I say or what I believe, but what Paul is written for you to comprehend and for you to apprehend. All right? Okay. So, Look at Colossians chapter 2, just to set the stage here, because Ephesians and Colossians are parallel letters. One is uh, written, they're written to different churches, but, excuse me, they are um, very, very similar in outline and in content. And we follow a tried and true rule of interpreting the Bible when we look at more clear passages to interpret less clear passages. So when we want to understand more fully the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ from the dead, we want to look at the clearer, clearest passage with respect to that, and it's found in a parallel letter to Ephesians in Colossians. And it's Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Read it with me if you will. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, that is with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, pay attention. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Now, I just want you to think for a moment about what it is that the Holy Spirit is causing Paul to write here for your encouragement as well as for your instruction, all right? Satan conspired with Pilate, with the leaders of the Jews, with the Gentiles of that day in order to get Jesus Christ crucified. And you can just picture that at the, uh, at Calvary that day, Satan had thought that he had won the battle. Finally, he has gotten Jesus Christ in his grip. He has gotten Jesus Christ just where he wants him. On the cross, crucified, put to death, vilified, hated by all, shouted at, reviled, scandalously rejected. Satan, grinning, wiping his hands in glee that now he has won the battle. And what Paul is saying No, no, no. Don't you see that in the plan and purpose of God... As that cross is raised to the sky and planted in the ground, it is by that very means that Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled and the skull of Satan is crushed. He is a defeated foe. He is a vanquished foe. And Christ, by virtue of his crucifixion, has not only won forgiveness and secured salvation for all his people, he has conquered the great enemy, Satan. He has defeated him. And by his resurrection, he displays to the entire world that he is the victor. And by his ascension, he is crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what Paul is saying. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those rulers and authorities which we're going to read about in Ephesians chapter 6. Those principalities, those powers against which spiritual war is being conducted, which you and I are to conduct. But notice, right here at the outset, get this straight. We battle against the defeated foe. Christ is the victor, and Satan is vanquished, and all his host with him. No, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them in the cross. Well, then why do we have to conduct spiritual warfare, Pastor? Well, like a wounded animal or a cornered rat, they're still dangerous, and V.E. Day awaits the return of Jesus Christ. But Christ has won D. Day and broken the back of Satan. Sinclair Ferguson, my professor at uh, Westminster, says this on this passage. Referring to what has come before that we looked at in preceding sermons, he says, Paul has just been discussing marriage, family life, and everyday employment. This was where Satan first successfully attacked. It was not when Adam and Eve were attempting extraordinary spiritual work for God, But when everything seemed mundane, that Satan tracked them down and tripped them up. In fact, their marriage, which was the best of all God's basic provisions for them, became the strongest instrument Satan could use to set them at odds against God and each other. Genesis 3. It's in marriage parent-child relations, and in the daily working world that we need to recognize we are not dealing merely with flesh and blood, but with rulers, authorities, cosmic forces, spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual warfare. The battle rages on today. Paul is reminding us of this opposition. Beneath surface appearances, an unseen spiritual battle is raging. He introduces us to the devil, as he has in previous chapters, to certain principalities and powers. And his purpose is not to satisfy our curiosity, not to have conferences about Satan around every corner and where is demonic foes that we have to engage in uh, ecballistic warfare against. No, but to warn us of their hostility and tell us how to overcome them. Is God's plan to create a new society? Haven't we said that? Then they will do their utmost to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus Christ, broken down the walls, dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? Ephesians 2, yes. Then the devil, through his emissaries, will strive to rebuild them. Does God intend his reconciled and redeemed people to live together in harmony and purity? then the powers of hell will scatter among them the seeds of discord and sin. It is with these powers we are told to wage war. We need to be firm, confident, convinced, certain of this at the outset. It's why you need that resurrection reference. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is risen and he is reigning on high now. So that when Paul speaks, he says, this is why you must also find your strength in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You need to apprehend that resurrection power for yourself. You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord Can I just say this? What might be glaringly apparent? This is not a do-it-yourself project. We need to rely on the Lord. We need to find strength in the Lord. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That's why you need Jesus Christ. You see, if you're not a Christian, or if you're just a nominal Christian, Christian in name only. Then you are subject to the wiles and the vagaries of the devil and all his hosts. You go about your life doing this and doing that, thinking everything's hunky-dory. But truth be known, you're just a slave to the devil, a slave to your own lusts. Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Paul writes elsewhere, Satan has taken men captive to do his will. What most people think is freedom is actually slavery. No. You need Jesus Christ. You need to find yourself in Jesus Christ. You need to be reconciled, renewed. You need to be restored. You need to be related, rightly related to Jesus Christ if you were to have his strength to endure and to persevere and to survive this spiritual battle about which Paul talks about here. And towards that end, for those who are in Christ, for those who are seeking to be strong in the Lord, Paul gives three relevant reminders. And I'm going to have you look elsewhere in the scriptures for them. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We're talking here about how to be strong in the Lord, how to find your strength in the Lord, how not to pursue this as a do-it-yourself project, but how are you to be strong in the Lord? Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I thank God every day for a clear conscience. Because my conscience reminds me all the time of my failings. My conscience reminds me all the time of my shortcomings. My conscience, my memory, reminds me all the time of my sin, my past behavior, one thing and the other, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Satan might come, Satan might Satan may climb on my shoulder and whisper in my ear. "You're just a filthy, stinking, rotten sinner. Why would God want anything to do with the likes of you? But Jesus Christ says, no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. Those sins, Paul, have been fully paid for. Look at verse 33. Paul follows up with this. Verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is my defense attorney. He is my advocate before the throne, before the bar of God's judgment. Yes, the law says guilty. Yes, my sins say guilty. But Jesus says, no, he's mine. No, my blood has bought him. No, he's cleansed, he's renewed, he's one of mine. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ. This is why I encourage so many of you all the time to memorize that beautiful question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism with which it begins. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only, my only, only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ Christ who has fully paid for all my sins and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. I belong. I am paid for. I am free. The first step to being strong in the Lord If you're a Christian, you're not a leaf blown by the wind. You're not subject to the fleeting vagaries of faceless fates. Nor are you prey for Satan. You belong. There is therefore now no condemnation. Second thing to be strong in the Lord right in this same text, if you would, verses 35 through 39. We're about to enter into this section dealing with spiritual warfare, right? Resurrection references Satan is a vanquished foe. Christ is the victor. Christ is risen. Christ is reigning, right? He's going to go into the following verses dealing with spiritual warfare. What, What do you need to know to be strong in the Lord? Look at verse 35. Remember what Paul's going to be talking about in Ephesians 6. Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. None of those things about which the Apostle Paul is going to talk as he gets into the subject of spiritual warfare. None of them, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why Paul can say, when he writes to the Galatian church, he says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And nothing in all creation, not the devil, not his hosts, not powers, not principalities, nothing will ever separate me from that love. That makes you strong in the Lord. And then thirdly, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 4 and verse 4. John writes to Christians and he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, a lot of people have memorized that verse, maybe you have as well. Here's the question, all right? A little bit of a trick question, all right? You know how I like to play games occasionally with you, right? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is the he? Uh, I tip you off. Tell you I'm playing with you. Of course, you're going to say, "Oh, Jesus!" Right? Just like this, the the perfect Sunday school answer. Every child says, "Jesus." That's the answer, right? No, not Jesus. Look at verse two. Look at verse two. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from in the flesh is from God. Look at verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. So what the context tells us is, though we might think, like the little Sunday school children, that the answer is Jesus, no, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And and what's John saying? The Holy Spirit is in you. What's the point? How are you going to be strong in the Lord? Well, there's no condemnation now. I belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate me from his love, right? And in the context of First John chapter 4, John is warning about hostile spirits at work through false prophets. And he says, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he's greater than the evil one. It is the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you. He is greater than all those evil spirits who come at you through false prophets. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, critically important. How are you to be strong in the Lord? How are you going to make it to VE Day? How are you going to survive The battle that rages daily in your families, in your marriages, in the workplace, with your children, boys and girls. How are you going to survive? How are you going to make it to VE Day? Be strong in the Lord. Know this. No condemnation. You belong to the Lord. Secondly, know this. Know this, that... Nothing in all creation will ever separate you from his love. Nothing. And three, know this. As you engage in this spiritual warfare, God is given to dwell in you the person of his Holy Spirit to engage in this combat. You see, what's critically important in any engagement, whether it's in warfare or In contract dispute or whatever, is that you come at it from a position of strength, not weakness. And what the Apostle Paul is saying as he enters into this discourse on spiritual warfare is if you're a Christian, you have a position of strength. Be strong, not in yourself, not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not grin and bear it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That strength which raised Jesus Christ from the dead is yours. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resources that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the victor. We thank you that Satan is a vanquished foe. We look forward to the day Uh, when the battle shall be completed, when the glorious victory of Jesus Christ will be consummated, and when we will celebrate with, uh, with him and with all the saints that have gone before us the victory and triumph of the Lamb. We ask that you would sustain us and strengthen us until then, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And amen.